They say that 50% of marriages end in divorce. So what's the solution? Well, a municipal councillor in Mexico City is proposing a bill that will help newlyweds avoid the hassle of divorce by giving them the option of short-term marriage contracts. Yep, you heard it. They're proposing to give couples an easy exit strategy by giving them temporary marriage licenses. So you can get married, and if the marriage is not going well, it doesn't matter. It will expire in two years. If it goes well, then you can renew. Sounds good. Except, would you marry someone who is thinking about how to get out of the marriage? Doesn't that defeat the whole purpose? Why not just shack up? I mean, I'm not condoning living together, but if you're not sure, why get married at all? Besides, marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. That's an agreement that is not conditional. A marriage cannot have conditions. Otherwise, it's not a marriage. It has to be free, faithful, fruitful, and total. If you have conditions, it's not total, isn't it? No wonder the church in Mexico has criticized the proposal. Here's a better idea. If you want to avoid the hassle of divorce, let's teach young people what marriage really is and about love, sex, and relationships, and then maybe we'd have stronger and more meaningful marriages. Oh, but wait, that would be too much hassle. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and today Jillian Cantor returns to tell us what her kids taught her this week. That's in about 20 minutes, and as always, Andrew Santos has a Saint of the Week, and Sheridan has our Diocesan Update, and Krista Matrenko is right here with me. Hey, Pedro. So what, uh, what is in the headlines this week? Well, we're going to talk about some massive changes at one of the most venerable Catholic news agencies. Uh, quite the controversy there. As well, um, someone who certainly some American viewers might know him, but he's one of Canada's most beloved priests. He died um, last week, so we'll be talking right. about him. And as well, um, it's a major anniversary for the Canadian Church, and we'll tell you why. Yes, exactly. So all that's coming up shortly. And now, Chris, uh, for a while now, you know we've been talking about uh, the Trauma and Transformation Conference that hopes to look at lessons learned from the sex abuse crisis in the Church. And in the second half of the program, we'll be speaking with Sister Nula Kenny, mm -hmm. whom you know well. That's um, right. She's probably the leading expert on the abuse crisis in the Church in Canada. Um, and also, as you know, there's a new translation. We've been talking about this also seems for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, a new translation of the text of the Mass. And so that means that there is new music as well. And we're going to be speaking with uh, John Dawson. He's the composer of one of the three Canadian music settings for Mass. His Mass is called Mass of the Holy Family. Um, and why don't we start with his Gloria. So here's this, the setting, the new setting for the Gloria from the Mass of the Holy Family by John Dawson.
That was Susan Hukong Taylor singing the Gloria from the new Mass of the Holy Family by John Dawson. And we're going to be speaking with John in the second half of the program about how the new translation will affect the music at Mass. And in about 15 minutes, what our kids teach us with Jillian Cantor. But first, Chris is still here with our news. Yes, well, Pedro, there's been a big change to Zenit. I don't know if you're one of the many people who receives uh, the Zenit uh, uh, emails yes, every day. Yeah, Some do. people yeah. go to their website to read their news there. And uh, full disclosure, um, Salt and Light does have ties to Zenit. Uh, Father Thomas Rizika, our CEO, uh, has been contributing biblical reflections to them over the past few years. Now that that's out of the way, uh, the news is that starting uh, late September is when this all began, when Jesus Kalina, the founder and director of Zenit, was asked to resign. Now, added, at issue, according to Kalina, was disagreement about Zenit being too closely identified with the legionaries of Christ. Now, the, le the legionaries have always had a role financially, also as spiritual advisors, and with legionary priests contributing articles. But this new identif this identification would now be underlined. It would be more prominent, apparently. Now, also, Kalina says there was a mutual loss of trust following revelations that the founder of the Legionaries of Christ, Father Maciel Maciel, had been living a double life. That's a whole nother story. Uh, for their part, a spokesperson for the Legionaries insists that Zenit's journalists will still have editorial independence um, and that being open about Zenit's ties with the Legion of Christ was just being more transparent. Uh, and they said there were other reasons, such as Kalina's involvement with other Catholic media. Uh, now, they've already replaced Kalina. Antonio Gaspari is the new editorial coordinator, but they have some more personnel issues to address. This week, all of Zenit's editors quit en masse in what's seen as a show of support for Kalina. Wow. And so that story is still developing. Uh, now, in Canada, one of our most beloved priests has died uh, Father Bob Bedard, he is uh, best known for his role in founding the Companions of the Cross. And the Companions, they, their beginning was very interesting. They, they started off as a group of young priests and seminarians providing mutual support and prayer for each mm -hmm. other. And then in 1988, the Companions of the Cross was born, along with a group of lay associates. And they're known for their charismatic spirituality. And uh, they eventually became a Society of Apostolic Life. Now, they're in Ottawa, Toronto, Halifax, but also in the United States. Um, uh, listeners in Houston and Detroit would be familiar with them. They have 37 ordained priests as members and eight seminarians. And they also have a TV ministry called Food for Life. Um, now, Father Bob Bedard, he went into long-term care and has been hospitalized. He's gone, gone in between the two of them since the start of 2010. And then on, on October 6th, um, he passed away. Um, uh, the priest had just celebrated Mass for the dying. He had just received the sacrament of the sick. And uh, so, he, um, and the funeral was this past Wednesday in Ottawa. And finally, a uh, major anniversary in Canada, um, the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the canonization mm -hmm. of Brother Andre Bissette, now known as Saint Andre. And uh, for those of you who uh, have salt and light, or even if you just have the internet, you'll be able to uh, to relive that that very historic moment for both Canada and for anyone who's involved with the Congregation of Holy Cross. 
Um, we'll be re-airing on Salt and Light the, ma the Mass of Thanksgiving in Rome with the Cardinal of Montreal, Jean-Claude Turcotte, um, as well as um, Salt and Light's documentary on Brother Andre called God's Doorkeeper, St. Andre of Montreal. You can go to saltandlighttv.org for the broadcast times, and from there you can also go to our online store where you can purchase your own DVD copy uh, of God's Doorkeeper so you can learn more about this Canadian saint. Absolutely. Good way to spend the Sunday with Brother Andre mm -hmm. and Salt and Light Television. Thank you very much. Chris Dimitrenko, our Salt and Light Radio News Producer. And if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is our parenting expert, Jillian Cantor. But before that, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Pedro, Pedro, I'm back. Yes. Believe it or not, I'm back. Okay, last week we spoke about, do you remember? Saint Teresa. Teresa. Okay, Saint Avila. Teresa of Avila. So this wow, week me we're... On the spot. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a deeper look into the life of St. Anthony Claret. Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure if a lot of people know about him, but I went to my, my preschool in Panama. Okay. Was named after him, Claret. Oh, Claret. nice. El Kinder Claret. Claret. Okay. Yes. So his name is Antoni, uh, forgive my pronunciation, Antoni Maria Claret y Clara. He's and from Spain, no? He's Spanish? Yeah, he was yeah. born uh, near Barcelona, Spain in the year 1807. So, at the age of 12, he became a weaver, and he specialized in his trade while he was in Barcelona. So, more than just his trade, St. Anthony devoted a lot of his extra time to becoming, you know, fluent in French and Latin. I wish I could become fluent in Latin. You can. Yeah, one day. St. Anthony left Barcelona after he felt called to serve the church through religious life. St. Anthony wanted to become a Carthusian, and he entered the seminary in the year 1829. Right. He was ordained in June of 1835. Interestingly enough, Pedro, he was ordained on the Feast of St. Anthony of Padua. Wow. So um, St. Anthony being his namesake. After going to Rome and being enrol enrolled in the Jesuit novitiate, he was forced to leave due to ill health. Uh, it was then that he returned to Spain, and he exercised his pastoral ministry amongst the poorest. Mm -hmm. So here we have another saint who de devoted some of his life and his ministry to serving the poor. Right. How nice. Yeah. So all that work paid off. Many in the church began to take notice of his work. Pope Pius, at the request of uh, Queen Elizabeth II of Spain, appointed him Archbishop of Santiago, not Chile, but Santiago, Cuba, uh -huh. in 1849. Yes, that's right. So he was consecrated in October 1850, and... Um, he embarked at Barcelona on December the 28th. Mm -hmm. So having arrived at his destination um, of Santiago, he began at once the work of some reform. So this reform, these works that he managed to do in uh, Santiago, Cuba, it actually stirred up a lot of opposition um, amongst everyone during that time, um, as had pr happened previously in Spain. So, you know, there was so much opposition, Pedro, that more than 15 attempts were made at his life. People wanted to take his life. Wow. And at one point, his cheek was slashed from ear to chin, 
um, by an assassin with a knife. Really? So, in fast forward to February 1857, uh, St. Anthony Claret was recalled to Spain by Queen Isabella, mm-hmm. who made him her confessor. Wow. So for nine years, he was rector of the Escorial Monastic School, mm-hmm. um, where there he established a scientific laboratory. Uh, he also put together a museum of natural history, um, a library, college, schools of music and languages. Wow. Uh, his further plans were um, actually put back. They were frustrated by the revolution of 1868 in Spain. So St. Anthony continued his popular missions and his distribution of books wherever he went. Uh, When Queen Isabella recognized the new uh, secular government of the United Italy, he left the court and hastened to take his place by the side of the Pope. So this was when he was in Rome. Um, So he prepared for the First Vatican Council in Rome. And after that, he retired. He uh, was forced to retire at the Cistercian Abbey in southern France. Right. And it was there that he died in October the 24th of 1870. Interesting. And only at the age of 63. Wow. I was in at that monastery in El Escorial uh, just after World Youth Day. Oh, beautiful. How it was it? It is now an Augustinian monastery. I didn't know the connection with St. Anthony Claret. Yeah. Cool. It's it a beautiful place. It yeah. goes away, uh, a ways back. Big history. Anyway, so there you go. So you know what? Something, um, if I can add, like, yeah? there's always something beautiful about uh, the stories of the saints. You don't think that there's so much history, but there really is behind it. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you dig a little deeper, yeah. it's, it, it's amazing what people, um, what our saints went through yeah. you know, during their yeah. time here on Earth. Especially, yeah. So when's his feast day? Uh, his, well, we celebrate his death day on October the 24th. Okay, so that's what's coming up. So that's what's uh, coming up for our listeners. Okay, so October so the 24th, good. remember, St. Anthony, Anthony Claret. Claret. Well, very good. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, today we remember St. Andrew Santos. Andrew, thank you. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. In about five minutes, what's happening in the church across our country, so stay tuned. Hi, this is Dave Wong from Critical Mass, and you are listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. My name is Pedro. You can find Salt and Light on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter, and you can read our blog at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And now, it's time for... What our kids teach us with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, what did you learn from your kids this week? Well, hello, Pedro. How are you today? I'm good. All right, kids. What do they teach us? Well, this week um, we had a bit of fun in the lesson, and what came out of it was Joseph teaching me that the reward is in the work. And how he taught me that. Um, yeah. <laughs> sounds I'll just very, ask my own question. Sounds very <laughs> philosophical. You have a very uh, philosopher's son here. Well, he, he didn't say those words. That's <laughs> just what I gleaned from this. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, it was uh, one day when we were very close to supper time, making supper, and we had just cleaned up another project, and he came to me with the request, can we please do some painting? Mommy, can we please do some painting? And my initial reaction was, oh, please, no, because... Whatever we do painting, it's a big, huge mess for mm-hmm. five minutes' worth of play. We quickly do some painting, and then, that, then he's done and off onto another thing. Right. So my initial reaction was, no, I, really not today. We're almost ready to make supper. I don't have time. But for whatever reason, I agreed to the project, and I said, sure, let's, let's paint. So we got out 
the paper, we got out the paints, we set everything up, we got our smock on, we got out the brushes, and just as predicted, it was one rhinoceros and one elephant later, we were done painting, and he was ready to put it away. But this time he said, Mommy, I'll clean up. And so I gave him uh, all the stuff that needed to be tidied up, and he got himself busy, he got his chair so he could reach the sink, and he proceeded to wash, wash every paint tray, every paintbrush, scrub everything down, and he spent the longest time, and probably the happiest time, was in the cleaning up. And that's where I realized that's it. The reward is in the work. For him, the painting wasn't so much the project. He just really wanted to do some tidying up. <laughs> he wanted to be able to play in the sink and clean, nice. up the, um, clean up all of the mess. That was what was the fun part for him. It's the part that I was dreading was what he was actually looking forward to. That's, uh, that's, it sounds very St. Therese, very little way. <laughs> yes. The reward yeah. is, I like it. Good. So it made me think, too, that, you know, in motherhood, it's the same thing. I, I don't anticipate that at the end of my time of mothering, when they graduate and leave the home, not that that's the end of mothering, but... No, no, it isn't. <laughs> I'm not going to be crowned mother of the year. I'm not going to get any big, huge reward. There's not going to be a parade or any uh, big award show in my honor um, where I'm receiving my reward is in this every day, is in the work. Yeah. So when I'm changing those messy diapers, the reward is that you know Henry reaches up and he touches my face, or um, when I'm washing the dishes or making the food, it's knowing that this effort is going into the care of my children. Um, so in every task, and it's really just a changing of perspective, in every task... That's where the reward is. It's how it's benefiting my family and to, and myself as well. And we can use that too, this reward being in the work, in our faith life as well. Like mm -hmm. there's, we, it's a, our faith is always in a work in progress. And so if we're waiting for some sort of reward to come when we are the most faithful, when we have done our best and been the best Catholic that we could be, well, that's, it's just simply not going to happen. But if we're experiencing those rewards as we journey, um, whatever our vocation is, then then yes, we will truly experience some good and happy and days and rewards. Uh, yeah, yeah, because not just our faith is a work in progress, but we are works in progress. Yeah, definitely. So we are works. I like that. <laughs> I don't like the idea of working, but... <laughs> But that's where the reward is. That's where the reward is. That's good. And, 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 and uh, you know, that's great, a great, a great advice for us at work, in your work, that so many mm. people dread, you know, they just have to work to yeah. make a living. But yeah. your work, we can, how can we serve and glorify God? Exactly, yeah. Through our work. If you're just yeah. waiting for a reward, then, uh, like a, a very tangible reward, then I think a lot of the times you're going to be left still searching and feeling empty. But if, yeah. it, if it's in your everyday and it's in a changed perspective, then then you're going to get a lot of prizes. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. Very good. So we're going to have the T-shirts made. Yeah. The reward is in... See, now I was going to say it wrong. The reward is in the work. Yes. Thank you very much, Jillian. Thank you, Pedro. Jillian Cantor, the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace, and she's uh, a wife and mother of two. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. You can podcast our show at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and it's also a free download on iTunes. 
And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hello, Pedro, and uh, welcome to all of our uh, listeners out there. So tomorrow we're celebrating in Montreal the first anniversary of the canonization of St. Brother Andre right, wow. as St. Joseph's Oratory. It's already been a year. Yes, wow. yes. And that's going to be at 2 p.m. and the Basilica. So everyone's welcome. You know, if you're in the area, definitely go. And you can visit saint at S-A-I-N-T hyphen Joseph dot org for more details. And, um, you know, I remember the first time that I saw Salt and Light's documentary, God's Doorkeeper, St. Andre of Montreal. It just completely shook me to the core because I was in the basement of my church and was working on something else. And they happened to be screening it in the main hall. And as I was working, I was overseeing and overhearing the, you know, the production. And it was beautiful because, I mean, here's a guy who suffered terribly poor health, you know, poor background. He struggled to find and keep employment. And in a time when you were valued by, you know, your physical strength, right. it seemed like he had very little to offer. And so even as a humble porter, you know, he found meaning um, through his faith, through prayer. And, of course, that, you know, he reflected God's light to the world mm-hmm. and, of course, changed the world as a result, you know. Yeah. So... Um, I just think that it's such a beautiful production. I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't watched it. And, um, you know, you should check out our website at saltamitv.org forward slash Brother Andre yeah. to, to view Excellent that. Film. Yes. And, okay, Pedro, so how far back does the tradition of the crush go in Canada? Uh, but you don't know the answer to no, this No, I question. don't, but I'm going to say 18, 1876, <laughs> 1867. No. No, because before uh, that, there was no Canada. Oh, technicality. Uh, in Canada, the tradition of the crush goes back to 1535 when Jacques so Cartier City. Yeah. Yeah, and his crew wintered as Satakona. Okay. And then after that, initial contact with the Europeans and the First Nations, uh, ways immigrants follow. And of course, all of them contribute their own you know, rich traditions uh-huh. of the crash. And so to celebrate all of these, you know, very unique traditions, its importance as an expression of faith and its role in history, um, they're going to be having this this massive convention here in Toronto. It's uh, uh, hosted by the Fringe of the Crash, okay. and it's their sixth national convention. It's going to be the first time it's going to be held in Canada, and that's going to be next month, November the 10th, through the 12th. So that's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Wow. And it's just going to be such a fantastic opportunity to see crashes from loan from individuals and institutions from across North America. And this year's convention is hosted and organized by St. James Anglican Cathedral. And that will be at the request of the American branch of the Friends of the Crash. And two things I'd like to highlight from this convention. There's going right. to be an archaeological, uh, a talk on the archaeological research that they're doing in Egypt right now. Um, on what is believed to be the route traveled by the Holy Family. So they'll talk about the Christmas star and retell the story using astronomy and history and legend. And um, the other thing, which is really cool for an art history geek like me, um, is that they'll be talking about the crash in icons. And, for example, they'll be distinguishing, you know, um, the Byzantine versus Coptic traditions and how that plays out. So very, very cool. And if that doesn't tickle your fancy, the other thing I thought I would bring to everyone's attention is that you can also uh, join the convention delegates. Uh, They're going to be performing medieval 
biblical plays. So they'll have oh, a, a troupe cool. coming in. And as you know, medieval biblical plays were, you know, one of the primary tools used in evangelization. Yeah, for teaching people about... The faith. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, because so, people couldn't read or... Yeah, yeah so they're yeah. going to be doing it exactly as they would have um, Neat. Uh, played it out in 16th century England. Nice. And I thought that was really cool. So the medieval and renaissance players of Toronto will perform at St. James Cathedral beautiful cathedral in downtown Toronto. Yeah. And uh, that will be Friday, November the 11th, and then the following Saturday in the afternoon and evening. And I think that's definitely worth stepping out on a Friday night. It is. It's not far from our studio here on a Friday afternoon. Maybe we'll just cut out of work early and and go go check check out out the the medieval plays. Yes. And, uh, you know, some more details about this convention. They're going to be having everything downtown at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel. Uh So very central location. There are tours before and after. And you can, um, you know, order your tickets at stjamescathedral.on.ca. And uh, so that's S-T-J-A-M-E-S, cathedral at on.ca. And, uh, you know, just check out everything there. Order your tickets early. There are pilgrims coming from, you know, Spain, Germany, Neat. Netherlands, from Neat. over 25 states. What a great states. idea. Um, yeah. It just occurred to me that maybe people have, uh, some of our listeners aren't familiar with the term creche, that they call it nativity scenes. Yes, this nativity is what I, what I call yes. it, nacimientos in Spanish. So that's what it's, the nativity, and, and it's, and it's kind of sad that we're already talking about Christmas. <laughs> it's I mean, a, it's, it's not sad, but you know what I mean. This is great year to right. plan ahead. Yes, plan ahead. The crash conference <laughs> is coming. Anyway, thank you very much, thank you. Uh, Sheridan. And uh, coming up in our second half hour, Sister Nula Kenny is going to be with us uh, speaking on lessons learned from the church's sex abuse crisis and more on the new musical settings for Mass with liturgical composer John Dawson. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. According to a recent report by the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in the United States, no other institution has generated such a wealth of psychological, ethical, legal, historical, and sociological data and analysis on the problem of abuse of minors than the Catholic Church. This weekend, there's a conference at McGill University in Montreal that hopes to focus on the lessons learned from the trauma of abuse and move the church towards transformation. To find out more about the Trauma and Transformation Conference, I spoke with one of the leading experts on clerical abuse in Canada and the co-director of the Trauma and Transformation Conference, Sister Nula Kenny. Sister Nula, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Oh, thanks very much, Pedro. I'm happy to be talking to you Yes, yes, same here. Good to speak to you again. So, I know that the conference hasn't started yet, but so what can we learn, or what are your hopes that we can learn from the abuse crisis in the Church? Well, my my colleague, uh, Professor Dan Seary, who's in the uh, Faculty of Religious Studies at McGill, and who (laughs) was able to get the McGill Center for Research on Religion to be our institutional host, yeah. uh, and I really have felt for a while, as we're both academics, he's in the Faculty of Theology, and I'm a professor of medicine, we both for a while have thought that it would be a wonderful continuation of the Canadian Church's contribution uh, to this issue if we could bring together some really outstanding 
um, both academics uh, who have studied the issue, and then a whole host of folks from law, from mediation. We have two bishops speaking. We have mm-hmm. some priests who have dealt with issues both uh, as assessors of this problem and who have right. analyzed some of the theological issues. Um, we have one of the top scholars in seminary formation in North America. We, we were amazed when we decided to send out requests to participate in a conference that would bring together a wide range of people um, to, to focus really on what have we learned and what does this mean for where the Lord is calling us. We had an amazing response. So I think we're going to learn lessons, Pedro, from a, from yeah. a host of people who've had uh, a very varied experience of this crisis. And I, and I do want to ask you a little bit more about, about the experts, but before that, so you've mentioned the contributions that Canada has made, and I know that you were part of uh, two of the reports that were done way back, <laughs> way back when uh, some of these issues first, first arose, and, and some of those, I know the, the, the reports have been called groundbreaking. That's correct, uh, yes. Why, yeah. is Canada ahead of the game here in terms of how we are handling or have handled the, the crises? Uh, I would say we were way ahead of the game uh, in the early 1990s uh, for two reasons. Uh, the first was the, the tragedy um, of both Mount Cashel and then the Archdiocese of St. John's, Newfoundland, yeah. experience with abuse. I mean, that tra- was tragic, but the archbishop there, uh, Bishop Alphonsus Penny, uh, established an, an independent uh, a commission of inquiry, first time ever that that kind of activity ever occurred in the Church. Right. It was led by an Anglican layman who was the former lieutenant governor of Newfoundland, Gordon right. Winter, and I yeah. was the pediatrician uh, and religious sister that was on that commission. And what we produced, I mean, it's amazing now, 25 years later, uh, to see again and again that what we produced there was called Landmark. And it was Landmark not only because it pulled together then, what we knew at that time about uh, sex abuse of children and then the emerging issue of clergy right. sexual abuse of children, but because it named the concern that we had to be attentive not just to the individual offenses and individual victims, crucially important as that is, but we also had to be asking the question, why did this happen the way it happened to us? Right. Why did the people of God, you know, with Jesus's um, compassion and his commitment to children, why did we respond as we did? So it was landmark that way. And mm-hmm. then the Canadian Conference of Bishops um, established immediately after an ad hoc committee on clergy sex abuse mm-hmm. and produced two documents, again, amazing documents that have stood the test of time. One was uh, From Pain to Hope, which was about yeah. protocols and policies, and the other was Breach of Trust, Breach of Faith, which was supposed to be a discussion document on these why questions, on what kind of people are we that we allowed this to happen. Right. That wasn't so, quite so successful, and that's the issue that I keep trying to focus on as I come back to this concern today. Well, and do you see that the conference is, a, is that, that step that's missing, the, the, the next step? Yes, well, yes, yes, Pedro, and, but more than the conference will help us fill in the gaps of knowledge and learning that have gone on. I mean, so some of the lessons um, that we'll hear, and you know, you quoted the John Jay study yeah. that was commissioned um, 
of, of that criminal justice school by the American U.S. Conference of Bishops, by the American bishops, and our lead speaker is the senior investigator on that. Right, yes. Uh, so, you know, we're going to start with kind of really making sure that we've come to understand all of the things that we have learned in, in the past 20 years about this unfortunate situation, and, and then move to, on day two, we'll even more explicitly begin to focus on, so what are the things about us, bishops, priests, and people, that may have facilitated or fostered the way we responded? Mm-hmm. And the way we responded being, unfortunately, a history of um, kind of denial, minimization of the harm, um, uh, protection far too often of the priest offender yeah. rather than attention to the victim. It's not a happy story in our history, no. and, and part of what we have to do to make sure this never happens again and to respond to the Lord's call is to say, what do we have to learn from this so that we can move to the transformation? Or, you know, some church leaders have called it a purification yeah. that we need to move to. And you, you don't disagree with the fact that it would be a purification, but it's also a transformation. I, yeah, I think it's both. I mean, it's, in, it's interesting, you know, if you kind of prayerfully reflect, as I've done, on which word do I think most works. Yeah. To me, it's, I tell you, the, the, for me, this has become an issue. It's a spiritual journey. It's about individual spiritual conversion to the mind and heart of Christ. And, and it's looking then at, so, and what are the ecclesial uh, implications of a spiritual conversion for each and all of us in the church. Right. Now, you have a lot of uh, secular experts that are presenting at the conference and attending the conference. Do you think that there are lessons that the, the secular world, the criminal justice system, can also learn? So these are not just lessons that the church needs to learn. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, the, the amazing thing about this, and part of the challenge, is, is to be this beacon kind of in the world in which we find ourselves. Mm. And on this topic, we have not been that. But as we try more and more honestly and openly to address the question, we, we can and should help society to address um, an issue, because sexual abuse as the larger issue, not just of children, and then sexual abuse of children, pornography, right. these are issues that are kind of endemic in our time. And... The church really does have to pay attention to the transformation that's necessary in people of faith if we are to be a beacon uh, for the world around us. Right. So then who's this conference for, then? It's for the church. It's for everybody. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We um, We have bishops attending. We have formal diocesan representation, sometimes in the chancellor, sometimes in the individual responsible for the ministry, protective ministry programs, and uh, that kind of thing. We have a huge number of uh, lay people from various different lay groups, a number of religious women uh, and religious groups. Uh, We have um, priests uh, who have various different kinds of responsibilities, and we have academicians. Right. We've got some folks from theology faculties. We've got some folks from criminal justice. So it's, uh, (laughs) you know, you... When you say the church is us, it's, it's yeah. a little bit of everybody. It's, it is an academic-focused conference, and it is not a, it's, it's important that it is McGill that is the host. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes yeah. uh, you know, we're hearing complaints about you didn't do it this way, you didn't do it that way, 
and acting as if we're we're a church body responsible to respond to the faults of our past responses. We're actually pulling together as best we can uh, clergy and lay expertise from in the church and out of the church to assess the question, because precisely as you kind of alluded to, the Catholic Church has become the the case, the case uh, study, history yeah, to study yeah. to learn about this terrible problem. Wow! And it is our responsibility then to get as many people as we can involved in listening and understanding. But what we're fortunate that McGill uh, has allowed us to be a kind of a research, as I said, it's the Center for Research on Religion, yeah. and in a sense the research for the weekend is what can we learn from the experience of our crisis in our church? Well, and it, yeah, I, I, it, it'd be better if it wasn't such a tragic uh, <laughs> history. But anyway, um, we've been looking forward to this conference for a long time. I know you and I have spoken about it before. Right, and we've been right. talking about it here at Salt and Light. So um, looking well, forward it, to... Well, since we've weathered uh, airstrike, we think, and uh, 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 there's a, <laughs> a problem with the... Uh, uh, other kind of yes. McGill uh, striking uh, IT technicians and the like. Uh, God's got pulled us out of every crisis so far, so we're hoping to have it. We, we intend this to be a work for the Church, and we yes. hope that it will be a very positive experience and another contribution from the Canadian Church. Absolutely, and Salt and Light Television will be there as well. So and I know a lot I'm of the... so happy that you're going to help us yes. make sure that the messages we learn get extended. Absolutely. Very grateful to Salt and Light. I'm very grateful to you and to the work that you've been doing because it's not easy work. Not at all. Thank you very much, sister. Okay, God bless, Pedro. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Sister Nula Kenny, co-director of the Trauma and Transformation Conference on the Sex Abuse Crisis in the Church, I spoke to her earlier this week. To learn more about this conference and the work that they're doing, visit traumaandtransformation.org. And here now are the Eucharistic prayer parts from John Dawson's Mass of the Holy Family.
That was the Holy Holy, the Memorial Acclamation, and the Great Amen from John Dawson's Mass of the Holy Family and singing with Susan Hukong Taylor. We all know about the language changes that will be implemented on November 27th, the first Sunday of Advent. The new translation required that there would be new musical settings for various Mass parts, and so the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops the Natural, National Liturgy Office commissioned three new mass settings for Canada. And probably the changes that will affect people more are those concerning music. So to tell us about these changes, we're now joined by John Dawson, the composer of one of these settings. John, welcome back to Salt and Light Radio. Thanks, Pedro. It's good to be back. Yeah, so, so how does that work? So there's a new translation. Yes. Um, wh which are the mass parts that that's going to affect or that it affects... Mostly. Is it all the Mass parts? Um, well, it affects, I mean, it affects the whole Mass on, on very, to varying degrees. But right. the, the, the but big musically. ones are really the Gloria and the, uh, the Holy Holy. Um, but okay. even the Holy Holy is really just, it's a, just like one word. One word. The Gloria was the big one. Um, I mean, that's very different. So, uh, so, so, because I know people, and already, I mean, there are, there are cue, cue cards in the pews. Mm -hmm. Um but most people are not going to have to learn the Gloria because I presume that we're going to be learning the songs. Yeah, that was really the idea behind the settings. It wasn't so much that it was... Uh, I, I, the idea to, to sort of anticipate the change with some music, you know, Celebrating Song came out a while ago now. So that, that's the book. That's the book that the settings are in. Yeah. Um, I think the idea there was that people could start getting this music in their head a bit. You could start teaching the parishes, not necessarily the people. I think... If I'm not mistaken, um, even the head of Advent, um, there there is permission given, at least in our diocese, to start using the but sung parts. Yes, um, there is, especially. The I, I, what I heard is that especially the Gloria. Yeah. Well, because you don't sing the Gloria during Advent. Precisely. Yeah. So the people. Yeah. So I think as of October 29th. Oh yeah. Um, it's that that is good to go, or maybe it's even earlier. I don't know, but um, you know the idea was just so that you know people can learn these texts. I mean, you know, the, the mass settings as they were, as they are in Celebrate Song are really meant to be tools to help usher in this change. Right. I don't think anybody's expecting these to necessarily be the only mass settings ever for parishes, you know. No, no. They're, they're a tool to help. Yeah, and, and, okay. And, you know. Um, well, can I ask you about that? Because I think there was, I, I read a letter, or someone sent a letter here, you know, like, you know, one of these people that are like, you know, the, the, the liturgical legalists. Oh, it's yeah. like, here's the letter from Bishop, and this is one of the auxiliary bishops in Toronto, yeah. I guess, Bishop Boissonneau, yeah. saying, you know, please, basically the letter saying, please use one of the three settings. Plus the chant, the ISIL or, chant. Or the, or the chant. Plus the ISIL chant. Um, th that's right. Um, at least for a year. Yes. For the sake of unity. Yeah. And then people are taking that to mean... You can only sing these three settings in Canada for the first year. Well, different dioceses are handling it very differently. You know, right. Some are mandating one setting for the whole diocese or composite settings. Um, okay. Uh, Toronto did it that particular way, and the idea was to that. You know, especially with the settings. I, I know not everybody's going to use mine. Not everybody's going to like mine, and that's perfectly okay. Well, but your, yours is the youthful, the more youthful, so the guitar one. It's yeah, for, for all intents and purposes, it's yes. the guitar one. It's it the was, guitar and one. it was meant to be, you know, useful for communities with that musical reality. Yeah, you know, that there are 
there is something to, to grab onto if you have a more rhythm section based choir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I know that you know uh, it's it's not the the be all end all of, of mass settings. I, I'm very proud of it. I think it's mm-hmm. quite good. But mm-hmm. I, I certainly know that it's a tool, and I think that's the idea. Is say here's a year, use this to help get the the text into the mouths of your assembly, into the hearts of your assembly. Yeah. Hopefully, you know and. Who knows? After a year, some may decide to stick with the one they've chosen, and some may, you know, right away will just jump ship and go to somewhere else. And I mean, there these are the three in Canada, but obviously There's there are, there are other composers in, the States, in yeah. Canada, but they're yeah. also the major publishing houses in the U.S. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's. Um, so, so and I know we at the beginning of the program we listened to the Gloria, but can you give us maybe some uh, an example of what the difference is in uh, in language? From the old, well, we know with the old Gloria. Well, I think the refrain for mine is probably one of the, the the ones that stand out to me. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to people of goodwill. Right. Um, that's a little different. <laughs> it is, and that's those are the actual words. Because sometimes uh, people with previous musical settings they take some liberty with with the language, and yes. maybe that the that the Gloria is not written. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert, but the Gloria is not written as a as a w- with a refrain. No, it's not, and that's an interesting point. I mean, I I think all three of the Canadian ones use refrains. They do, and they do, and it's the same words. They all chose to do what you did. Yeah, and uh, you know what's what's strange about that is I recognize that the Gloria doesn't need a refrain at all. Um, but I think it was a bit of a pastoral concession to the fact that at least people will sing something. You uh, know? Yes. Uh, at least that's how I was thinking of it, in the sense that they're going to grab... I think my refrain in particular is a very singable refrain. It is. It is. So at the very least, people are going to jump onto that. You know? yeah. and, and so I, <clears throat> I don't think there's any... You're absolutely right, and, and I, I'd love to write another Gloria that doesn't have a refrain. But is there... Okay, let me ask you about that. As a composer, yeah. isn't there something about... Uh, I mean, the, the music, and I don't know if it's because of the pop culture influence, but the music that we are used to listening to is very much a verse, refrain, oh, verse, refrain, sure. and, and people are used to that. Yeah. And to go f- through a song that has no refrain is just... Especially when the melody... There is no discernible melody either. Well, no, the, and the text isn't metered, you know. So, exactly, so, so it's, it's hard to. Make I think it the equal. best example I've ever heard of what we call a through composed Gloria has to be Stephen Somerville's. Um, uh-huh. I can't remember what the mass setting was, but every I think everybody's probably heard it. He just did a wonderful job. Um, <clears throat> but it's really it's it's difficult to do, and the, and the text changes don't don't make that any easier. So. I think uh, refrain glorias are, are, are helpful pastorally. But you're right. I think that's an important point, too. And if you look at the other acclamations, they're very short. I don't have a lot of intros for any of those. They're, no. they're quick sort of, you know, um, they're, they're just little hooks in and of themselves. And, and it's that same logic that people, we're in a soundbite culture. You know, if you want to get people singing anything, you've got to give it to them fast. Um, right. And and that's not to ignore the fact that there's you know this is still liturgy. There's got to be formation and respect for what you're doing. But mm. there are cultural realities that that you do have to take into consideration. You know, and and I think that's one of them. And it'll be interesting to see how that whole musical dialogue plays out over the years. Right now, um, you mentioned something else about the how how singable the the music needs to be. And I know that at least those parts, the Gloria. It, it's appropriate that the congregation sings the whole thing. Yeah. The Holy of Holy, it's appropriate that the congregation sings the whole thing. Yeah. Um, how important was it for you to make it, maybe not how important, but how difficult 
requisite to make it singable, congregational? Yeah, it's harder than you think. I mean, there's a yeah. lot to be taken into account, and, and everything, to, you know, and some may argue if I, if I succeed in this or not, but I certainly looked at the range for mm-hmm. most of them, okay. recognizing that not everybody's going to be able to sing some of those notes at pitch, but it could also, you know, men might sing it down an octave, and it would sit comfortably for, yeah. for male settings. So I was trying to find a, a sort of place to set the melody that, that people could sing in a range mm-hmm. that was comfortable for them. But it was also um, sculpting the melody, especially for the holy, holy, and, and, and uh, you know, note choices and uses of chromaticism and, and recognizing that you've got to do things, um, try and do them as musically as you can and, and make it possible for somebody who may have no musical experience to be able to get it. And it's... It really, yeah, it's tough because it's um, what, you know, they, it, there's a certain um, sense that what I might sing stylistically as a songwriter may not necessarily translate to an assembly. Right. So you have to kind of take yourself and your own style out of the equation a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still have some character to it. And that's, it's a bit like iconography in that sense. You know, you're, you're, you're writing huh. an icon. Yeah, But yeah, you yeah. have to kind of re- try and remove yourself as a composer a little bit. Interesting. And, um, at least that's how I was thinking of it. And, and like, cause, Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I don't really... I'm not going to release an album of music that sounds like my mass setting. You know, I write different kinds of things for my yes. own work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to wear a bit of a different hat and think a little bit differently when writing for this task. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And and we are familiar with with the type of music that you that you write. Yes. Um, some, some of, of it's it, pretty strange. Some <laughs> of it's pretty strange, but at least you know, like the the. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that you can sing, yeah, yeah. It, it it's 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 very different, yeah. than than this mass setting. It's a little more syncopated, and and that's yeah. that's a tendency when you're when you're a singer songwriter, I guess as well. But that was one thing too, is rhythmically, you know, are you how syncopated are you? Yeah, because people don't, especially in this culture, they don't they don't get the syncopation. Well, sometimes. they feel it, they can't read it. No, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, it, syncopation. I remember that from when you know studying jazz, I mean, syncopation is always easier to feel than it is to read. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if people are reading a melody, then, you know, they, it, it, want, it probably should look pretty standard. But, yeah, yeah it's an interesting But you can challenge. also, sometimes you can read, read the syncopation in the text, and it's there. And it makes sense. And sometimes yeah. people, it's not in the music, but people syncopate it anyway, because that's the instinct. So I well, guess that's if the... you just pray and just speak some of those texts, like the Gloria, it's a very... Syn- I mean, English is a pretty syncopated language. Yeah. There's a lot of odd rhythms in it, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Um, I, I want to talk to you quickly about... the. Uh, you released a new song, because yes. you, <laughs> your wife released a new baby. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I had to compete. <laughs> um, no, but of course, you're a, you're a composer, and you're having a baby, so of course you're going to write a song. Yes. Um, but you chose to write this song before your child was born. Yes. A song for my unborn child. What was that experience like? Yeah, uh, it was really neat. It was, uh, you know, anybody, especially being my first child, I, I had no idea what to expect, and still have no idea what to expect in the yeah. coming years. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of just wanted to write, um, and it's part of an album. I'm working on a whole project that I'm doing of, of just kind of little daddyisms, you know, things huh. that I want to leave, you know, for my child. Things happen, you know, life gets funny, and sometimes you never really get to say some things that you want to say. Mm-hmm. And um, this song for me was just saying, 
here's the plan. I want to do the best I can for you. Here are some things. Every, each one of the verses is kind of like a daddy says this, you know. And, um, there's just little ideas within the lyrics. Um, and the bridge is basically says that. So, you know, I know this conversation might be more than a few years away, but it would break my heart if those years come and go and I'm just left with a list of things that I meant to say. Mm-hmm. So it's really that sense of just, I just want to make sure I get this out now. You wow. know, because before I know it, you're going to be 25. Yes, know? and before you know it, he will be 25. Yeah, exactly. So it was just, and, and I thought the unborn was important uh, in another sense of the yeah, yeah, the yeah. pro-life element, you know, the sense that it, 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 I think there's an element to pro-life. I think it's very politicized, uh, but pro-life is about life. And I thought, you know, the, as Catholics, we want to, you know, we are pro-life, of course, um, but that there's a, a gentleness to this. You know, this is this is recognizing it before I've even met this child. This is a child of God, and yeah. and, and so there is that dimension to it. I think of recognizing that this isn't just uh, mm-hmm. something that but this is still a person now right but you know before they're born you know yeah well we're going to play that song just to end the show so um uh, looking forward to to hearing it um thank you john thank you it's good to talk to you again. yeah very good so uh john dawson composer of the mass of the holy family one of the three canadian musical settings for the new english translation of the mass and you can purchase the new settings at cccbpublications.ca you can also learn more about john dawson and his music on his website johndawsonmusic.net and here now is john with his new single a song for my unborn child rest assured i will greet you when morning And rest assured I will kiss you when daylight's done With me here you're not so all alone With me here you're not so all alone Rest assured for all it gives you the world can take as much Rest assured that it can't take from you What's given you in love Though my love for you is yours and yours alone Remember love freely shown is freely grown Now I know that this conversation listening to John Dawson's A Song for My Unborn Child. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light radio programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can learn all about Salt and Light and all that we do at saltandlighttv.org. And to follow us closely, go to Facebook and Twitter. So thank you and God bless you. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio. Now I know that this conversation is more than a few years away. But it'll break my heart if those years come and go. And I'm just
Rest assured, I'll try to teach you whether you have.